Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me here on the show, I have Heather Moses, who is the SVP of marketing at NextThink. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode and excited to dive into some marketing. But to kick it off, I have a, a question for you. If you had to choose between Coke and Pepsi, what would you choose? That isn't even a question. It's Coca-Cola <laughs> all day long. There we go. And I always, I always ask because this, these are marketers on the show. Is that because they're really good at marketing or because you like the taste? Who knows, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> so it's both, both definitely play a part then. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, Heather, um, we have a lot to cover today. We're kind of not really all over the place by any means, but we have a lot of really cool uh, concepts and marketing um, tactics to cover. And the first one is short-term versus long-term. Um, you know, I see a lot of companies, I think you, you do as well. They focus on everything in the short-term and then they never look at the long-term, like how to build a brand, what actually will create the demand down the road. Um, and when they do this, how does that limit their growth? That's, that's such a great question. I think that you're exactly right. When you're in especially high growth, you know, SaaS companies, it's all about the next quarter. It's all about, okay, how are we going to get, you know, how are we going to meet or overachieve our targets? And so companies tend to default to looking at the short term overall, you know, making sure they're hitting their quarterly numbers is obviously key to kind of keep the business continu continuity going. But you also have to think about the long-term strategy as well, because what ends up happening if you don't is you're not building for the future. So, you know, you're in the beginning kind of hacking through the jungle with the machete. You need a paved road eventually to be able to go down to make sure that you're actually increasing sales over time. So let's take a step back. How would you define short-term marketing or versus the long-term marketing? Like in your words, what is what? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's interesting too. I was just reading, it was like a Harvard business article that was saying that most marketers that they surveyed said they looked at, you know, the results, the short-term results, 70% of them were focused on that versus the long-term results, the 30%. So it's like mm -hmm. what you're thinking about every day is a key piece of this. So I think for short-term revenue, it's all about revenue and it's all mm -hmm. about how do you make sure that you're meeting the quarterly goals? And it's all about sales activation, sales uplift. And the long-term is really about, you know, that growth for sales over time. And so that's really how I define the two things. And there's diff different strategies and tactics for both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the, the things that's very popular, especially on, on social media and LinkedIn is you take a stand that one is bad and one is good. Like you go one direction, black and white, this is how you go. And I agree that that's a great way to build an audience. Like you need to be, um, you know, a voice for sure, if you believe in something. But mm -hmm. in this case, I think that there really is, one is not better than the other. You do need both to be in tandem. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, 100%. And I think the more that you can actually work those two strategies together, the more successful you're going to be. Yeah, it's like there's the battle between short termism and long termism. And I, you know, other people are saying that's wrongism. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. It's not an either or black or white situation. You really need both to have a proper marketing strategy. Yeah, because many companies, they could be focusing on the, on the short term, limit their growth, and then <laughs> they're focusing only on the long term. And it might be easy if, easy for us to come on the show today and be like, well, you know, long-term is what we should be focusing on 100%. And then if you were to do that, you would probably be limiting your growth almost just as much as if you focus only in the short term. Exactly. And that's also a little bit scary too, because you really do need to hit your quarterly numbers. And that's why you need the balance of both. Mm-hmm. So today uh, we're going to talk about a little bit more of the long-term. Obviously you need both, but yeah. what are some examples of, maybe some bets you're placing on the long-term or maybe some bets that companies should be placing because it's nuanced. Maybe not everything is for you guys or the people listening, but you see in the market. Can you run through some examples of that? Absolutely. So for next thing, we are in a incredible position where we have a unique product where we felt like, you know, when I joined five years ago, we said, okay, you know, how can we, take a look at what the business, how do we look at the market and how do we make sure we're, we're out there in a way that people understand us. And we do something unique. It's really about putting employees at the center of the technology. So they're getting better experiences. And, you know, you look at the kind of consumer grade expectations most people have, you know, that's what they expect at work as well. So we're supporting that. And we realized pretty quickly we're creating a category. This is not exactly like we're going to fit into, you know, the MQ that's already been created for other technology. We're our own you know, we have our own vision and our own unique perspective. So we really spent time thinking through what that perspective was and then began to do community building and really find the others. And this is not something you do overnight, uh, but we realized, you know, similar to the DevOps revolution where, you know, people began to think about development and operations differently. This is something, you know, what we're calling digital employee experience. We want to bring people along on that journey. So it doesn't you know, the, the traditional long-term ideas around just PR or do analyst relations um, don't necessarily apply for long-term category creation, because what we are focused on doing is making sure that we're building the community, we're working with the analysts, you know, we're doing things to make sure that over time we've built this community and then position ourselves as the leader within it. So mm-hmm. as an example of things that we've done, you know, we launched a Dex Hub is what we call it last year, which is a, it's a website that's, um, you know, we power it, power it with NextSync, but it is for people who also have a similar mindset about putting humans at the center of their experience with technology and really got together all the, the great minds who were seeing this, the like-minded people and began to put out lots of thought leadership on this, lots of content on this to really try to build up the category overall. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, content strategy, um, community building, all of these things are things you do for the long term. Also working with the analysts, nothing happens overnight with them. So, you know, again, building up over time, we started about four years ago, briefing, briefing, briefing. And then last year, they finally said, okay, you know what, we're going to have a category and we're going to call it digital employee experience. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, again, you're seeing this massive growth within the markets, so that long-term strategy you know, it, it took a while, but yeah. it's paying off. It could, yeah, totally pay off. Um, so I guess going back to like how you define it, you would say some good examples of defining the long-term 
view mm-hmm. of marketing would be uh, category creation comes to mind, um, brand, uh, content strategy, community. Those are all what you would consider long-term plays for marketing, right? Absolutely. Analyst relations, public relations, also long-term strategies as well. Mm-hmm. And are, are there any others that come to mind that you're like, you know what, maybe this isn't really a fit for us, but as marketers, it's important to you know, look at the horizon and say, well, maybe this is something we can pull off the shelf and, and kind of gear up toward, or is that really like the gist of what you found? I think there's a, there's never an end to what is possible in marketing, <laughs> yeah. which is why I love it. Uh, I would say one other thing I didn't mention that we worked on that you build up over time, which I feel pretty strongly about is, you know, you're seeing these peer review sites, they're coming to life. And, you know, just as people want consumer grade experiences with their tech at work, they also want to be able to review business technology the same way they do, you know, what they're going to get for dinner uh, on Yelp. So, you know, we have been investing in these peer review sites and working with our customers, trying to really make sure that when people go to these sites, they're finding out about our product, there's reviews there. And we also take it pretty seriously. So if people are putting up reviews and we see something interesting in there, that might end up being a feature in our product down the road. But again, it builds up over time. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Yeah. And that's what more marketers need to realize. Um, So I'm curious about the the category creation, because I have some, some thoughts on it that aren't really flushed out. And I'm just curious to know your thoughts. Do you feel that every company should create a category and actually work toward that? Or is it okay to catch the tailwind of something that's already there? Yeah, I think it's, you can catch the tailwind of something that's already there. It's um, I think category creation is not for the faint of heart. And yeah. if it's already uh, a mature established category, it requires an entirely different set of tactics. Uh, if you're in a situation, you know, like NextThink, where this was a, a something that we're, we were beginning to see and beginning to formulate, we had technology and a community willing to support it, then it makes sense as a strategy, but it's not, not every company should do category creation. Yeah. You know, I've seen, and I've talked to many people, um, especially marketers, and it's like, yeah, we're working on creating a category. And it's like this almost this lofty goal that everyone is trying to shoot for. And it seems like it can be almost a distraction for some companies because they don't necessarily need it and it can hurt them in the long run. Exactly. I completely agree. It's a, it's a hard long-term strategy. Again, like I said, it's uh, you have to be, uh, you have to have a lot of persistence and ambition to try to see it through. And it often won't make sense for certain companies if the market's already well-defined. Again, if you have a product and a product innovative team that says, we want to make something really unique within our product that Mm -hmm. is going to spin things around, that's when you would go after a category creation exercise. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so what are some things that we should watch out for? One, when we want to create a category and we're like, Ooh, because we have this, we should do it. And then the second question would be, what are some red flags like, how would you look at it if you're coming into a company and, and they want to create a, a category? What are some red flags that would say, you know what, maybe this isn't the best move? Yeah, I think it's it's about, you know, it's placing bets, but they have to be informed bets. So when you look at category creation, it's very much, you know, it's not just what you believe and what your product can do. It's truly what you're seeing in the market. What are the trends? What are you seeing even in the news? You know, what are the analysts talking about? Is there, you know, is there space for this there? Um, I think one of the things you would always look for in a company going in to see if it was right for category creation is to say, 
okay, you know, right now this company is being defined in this space and it's, you know, an apple with a bunch of oranges. Like this doesn't make any sense. How do I then take this apple and, you know, put it in its own barrel uh, longer term? I'm not going to keep going with that thread because it's not working. <laughs> um, but how do you, how do you like take it and, and make it something that's new, but you got to build up research. You got to look at the news. You got to see other people within the market, you know, all the, the prospects, are they talking about this? Is this something that they need? Uh, so that to me would be the things I would look for, for category creation. Um, red flags would be, you know, it's a mature market. Uh, the technology doesn't really have anything that's new or innovative within it. It's uh, really, again, competing on speeds and fees and feature mm-hmm. to feature, um, you know, that's, I think, a different type of marketing than, you know, looking at kind of shifting a perspective of a whole market. Yeah. Which can be absolutely a massive undertaking. So I was talking with uh, a friend of mine, we've had him on the podcast and he had brought up, they were doing a category and he's, or they were doing category creation. And he said, honestly, sometimes the best thing you can do is just simply tell people why you're better than the fit Mm -hmm. that's out there. Instead of going out and creating a category, amplifying Mm -hmm. the problem that you solve as opposed to your competitor. And that mm-hmm. can have the exact same results, you know, if you're positioned correctly in the market. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that works really well to say, like, if there's a, a market that's mature and mm-hmm. then you're doing something that's different, you know, making that new and shiny push uh, will draw people. I think when you're actually creating a market in a category, there's so much education that has to go in it to mm-hmm. say, okay, this is why we're asking you to think about something in a new way. And people, they don't have time. They don't have the mental space to do that. So, you know, it has to be something you know that is important enough and that they need enough to kind of help them, you know, educate along that journey. Yeah. Do you think that marketers just tend to overcomplicate a process or a philosophy like this because it's the cool thing to do and then they just make their job way harder than it needs to be when they could have just... (laughs) <laughs> told people what, I mean, obviously it's easy. It's, it's harder than just telling people what you do, but you, you understand what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's like, okay, okay. We're all going to do this. We're all going to do that. It's ABM, it's ABX, it's category yeah. creation. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was at another company years ago called, called Xebia labs and it was very much category creation, but the book play bigger hadn't been written yet. Yeah. And we were like feeling our way. We were testing, we were playing and we were doing category creation there without sort of this, like this playbook or the term for it. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is kind of interesting to me, like that set of plays, someone was that group of people was smart enough to put together. And now it's, a, you know, a it's a category in itself. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so another thing is marketing takes a full company effort. That's something that you believe. Um, I think that is, is very true, but how do we do that? Because that's way easier said than done. Yeah, I think so too. And I can talk about it in both domains, but I think in particular with category creation, you know, I've heard it said many times that, you know, marketing shouldn't just be left to a marketing department because it's too important. And I really believe that. And basically, if you look at most successful companies, it starts with a CEO who has a vision that he puts forth. And then, you know, the marketing team, you know, puts the messaging in the story and, you know, helps to support and amplify that into the market. But the way I look at it is, you know, in most companies, you've got, you know, we have 950 people, we have 950 marketers. So if we can actually get that, get them 
to, you know, believe in the message and feel strongly and passionately about it, they will go out there and talk about it on LinkedIn, on, you know, all the other channels that they have to help amplify that message. They'll be excited about it. So to me, it's like it starts inside um, the company to make sure that everyone's really passionate about what it is that you're trying to do. You've got a CEO who's behind you saying like, this is a company strategy. This is not a marketing strategy and help push it out. And I think that's, you know, that kind of support makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, if you're not doing category creation, there are, to me, I still believe you've got an army of marketers with you. You know, we use tools like, you know, Bamboo, where we're like creating content to help our our employees, you know, take that message and put it out on channels, making it easier for them to be able to do that. We also work really closely with talent marketing and with HR to make sure, okay, when we're onboarding our employees or when we do, we have a great milestone with a customer, like what are some of those things that we can do to the, you know, to give them a great experience that they want to then go talk about or share, you know, with their networks as well. Mm-hmm. So you guys, are you providing, you said you're, you're providing some sort of content for maybe social media and stuff like that. What does that look like? Is that you send them a couple of graphics? Are you empowering them to learn how to write content on their own? I'm curious to hear your strategy. Yes. You know, for us, we absolutely go around and with our field, you know, regions and we do social media 101, you know, so that people can actually understand, you know, what it is and how to use it. Uh, Then we try to make it as simple as possible for them. You know, some people prefer to write in their own voice and they just want some content. Other people are like, I don't want to do any of this, but I will, I'm willing to click a button. So, you know, we have kind of a range of things, you know, for our executives, we'll work with them to create tailored content for them to share, you know, for our overall employees, for our sales team, we create, you know, we have a whole, um, a whole set of materials based on whatever it is that we're promoting at the time. You know, it could be something that's not even from Nexing. It could be a really interesting study that was done in the market. It could be our own research, really a million different things that we provide. And it's always, you know, a really nice image uh, and content as well, but always telling them, feel free to add your own flair to everything that you do. And I think that's where a lot of companies go wrong is they have this, this, they understand the philosophy of, of, everyone has their own little brand, right? Mm -hmm. And then they limit that voice by saying, this is what you need to post. You can't say anything else. And then they just shoot themselves in the foot and don't give the creative liberty and the personality, um, not leverage, but I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but letting them go do their own thing. Exactly. And I think, you know, some of the best, you know, posts that are the most engaged with are the ones that employees take, you know, something that we've created, but then they've that added their own spin into it. So a hundred percent, I'm all yeah. about the individual person. <laughs> Have you noticed, I, and obviously as marketers, we don't need to track everything and you can't track everything. But have you noticed whether it is on a form on your website that said, I heard about you guys because of X employee or maybe on sales calls, have you noticed that those uh, metrics have started to come through? That's a really good question, I think. So for us, we definitely see obviously conversion. If we have something, we have an event, we can see who's coming through. So that's one piece you know, via social media. Um, absolutely. I would say it is a huge talent marketing push for us as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for LinkedIn, a lot of the people that come in looking to work at next thing, see the culture, see the people, you know, see that it looks fun. And then they, they come in and say, we heard about you on yeah. you know LinkedIn and we want to apply for a job. So that's like 50% of it. The yeah. other 50% of it is the conversation around people kind of looking to do and change it. And, you know, how do they do that? And how do, how can they help 
you know, talk about that within the market to advance the IT principles. So it's like, those are the kind of the two things. It's like the, the engagement around the thought leadership, it's the talent marketing, it's conversion through events, I think are the primary ways we're seeing that amplification. And gotcha. come through. So once you've done your the internal marketing and you have people on board with, mm-hmm. you know, from the CEO down, it is important to know that your message, your story and your narrative are impacting the market. What are some ways that it's, it can be really tough, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, to, to quantify this, but what are some ways that you, you know, measure what the market thinks about your story, even the category that you're creating? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's when you look at short-term marketing, often it's very easy to measure. I mean, yeah. we can go, I can tell you, okay, there's MQLs. This is how many converted. This is how many meetings. And, you know, this is specifically kind of what translated into this deal closing. And when it look, when you look at kind of the long-term, people feel like it's a, a little bit fuzzier. In my mind, it's, it's really not if you can pull in the right tools and you look at the right measurements and you're doing it over time. So, you know, for us, we use something called Trendkite where we can see, okay, what is our share of voice for next thing? And, you know, what are, you know, for the category, what is the, our share of voice within that category? How much are people talking about that? We look at Google analytics and we say, okay, you know, how many people are searching for next thing? How many people are searching for the category? What is next thing share of voice within the, you know, the, the category search? So we're really tracking all of those pieces I think, um, you know, the, some of the bigger wins obviously was, you know, having Gartner recognize the category a year ago, like that mm-hmm. was a big checkbox, like, okay, we're seeing progress here. Another thing we've noted as well is, you know, not just competitors, but others within the marketplace are talking about digital employee experience. We're hearing that term, you know, from some of the bigger players out there mm-hmm. now to say like, okay, this is, this is something that we want to jump on because it makes sense. And this is kind of where the market's going. So, you know, some of them are a little bit, um, not as, uh, I guess, easy to touch and quantify. Feel, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, what's, that's, what's cool about marketing is you have mm-hmm. this whole other realm called, uh, qualitative data. And that's, it seems like that's the best way to measure anything long-term. And again, that's not to get you up. That's not an excuse, but it right. is a way to measure it. Like that's, that's incredible that you recognize in those ways. It can be screenshots. For example, um, one thing we recently implemented was if anyone says anything good about our podcast, we screenshot it and we put it into a Slack channel called podcast success. Got that from uh, Jonathan Pogat. He's been on the podcast. Yeah. So it was genius. You can do the same thing with um, when anybody says anything about your LinkedIn content, maybe your company wrote a book, uh, anything like that. As long as you document it and say, look, you can show it to your executives down the road. At least you have that qualitative data to be like, look, this is where we've come. Look at what people are saying. Maybe you can't measure this, but this is being talked about. Exactly. And I love that you said that too, because I think they're um, along with like all the ABM buzzwords and category creation, I think, you know, taking marketing and turning it fully into science um, is also something people should think twice about doing. You know, there's yeah. certain things you can definitely measure. There's other things you have to look at that qualitative data because, you know, and if you're unwilling to accept that, you're going to really miss out long-term mm-hmm. financially if you're not investing. Absolutely. Um, so I have some questions here that we we ask these same, same questions on every podcast. Okay. Love okay. hearing different answers. Um, so with us, we are, our goal is to always bring websites to the next level. Um, so in regards to your website strategy at next thing, what's something you've recently tried, uh, whether, and did it work or did it not work 
either way is fine. Okay, uh, this is a great question. So, you know, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but one of the strategies that we took on about, I guess it was last July, so almost a year ago, we said we wanted to create this hub for digital employee experience for the community to kind of get together. And, you know, it was a big undertaking because it's basically another website and, you know, convincing people that was a good idea. And, okay, you're making a website, but it's not specifically about next thing. Like, how is this going to work? So there was so much education and so much kind of um, push that we needed to put behind it. We launched, we launched it last July and we're seeing like amazing success with this. It's like, you know, it's doubling every month over month, you know, in any time we're, you know, putting paid investment into kind of bringing people there, we're seeing that quadruple. Uh, it's, you know, for us, one of the biggest success stories, you know, over the past, I would say two years. So that's awesome. So yeah. it is to attract talent. Is that the goal behind it? The goal behind it is actually to educate the market. So it's, mm. um, you know, people from all over, we have people from, you know, uh, Qualtrics or Qualcomm, they come and they write about digital employee experience. Oh, there okay. is a job board for professionals. They could actually go there and look for, um, you know, new roles. There's new research. We also have like a toolkit that's like this interactive toolkit that mm -hmm. tells you about the market. So a lot of innovation uh, behind this, but it was a, a whole, it was a huge effort. Yeah, that's awesome. And it really just educates on the category that you guys are creating, right? Yeah. And it brings together, you know, sort of these IT change makers in a place to have this conversation about this market. Genius. Well, it sounds like it's, it's paying off for you, which is awesome. So congratulations on that. Thank you. All right. Good team effort. I'm lucky yeah. <laughs> so the last thing I have is we yeah. can spend a few minutes doing this if you'd like. Um, I will hand the mic to you. You become the podcast host to mm -hmm. close us out. And if you have a few questions you want to shoot my way, um, you're more than welcome to do that. Excellent. Thank you, Sam. You asked such good questions. Okay, so now it's my turn, which I'm excited about. So um, as I mentioned, I think off air to you, I guess it was about a year ago, we started our own podcast uh, called the Digital Employee Experience Show. Mm -hmm. um, and we're having some really great success with it. But obviously, you're seasoned with this. And I would love just to get your your take on a few different things. So, you know, how do you go about promoting your podcast in the market overall? Like what are some ways that you find successful? Um, the best way that I've found is to, and a lot of people have published this, but to mm -hmm. chop up your content into bite-sized pieces and then get it in front of the right eyeballs because simply taking the link to your podcast and posting on LinkedIn and saying, Hey, we dropped a new episode today is not going to make people listen to your episode. Um, what I like to do is reverse engineer how I discovered podcasts. So there's a few that I listen to. Um, I really don't listen to a ton of different ones. And the first one is because one, I know the people at the company and I have an affinity toward their brand. So therefore I want to listen to it. So mm -hmm. if you can check that box with someone, you might pick up some subscribers. The second one is I was following their content on LinkedIn for a long time. And, mm -hmm. you know, I checked out the podcast. It wasn't really for me at first continued to follow them on LinkedIn, enjoy their content, and eventually said, you know what, I'm going to give that podcast another look. Love it, right? And that's one of my, the podcasts that I listen to the most now. And that's because the short form bite-sized content was what directed me toward the long form because people are not going to leave LinkedIn to go to the long form. They're going to be scrolling their phones, watching some videos, yeah. and uh, they're not going to want to go listen to a podcast. Um, the, another way, and this is really, uh, TikTok driven is that same strategy. Uh, this mm -hmm. is more like the consumer side of my life. It wasn't really B2B, but it was 
I enjoy the videos that they post. And because of that, I go check out the podcast and that's how I discover it. So if you can recreate that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as someone who has your own podcast, that's the best move because long form is not what people are going to be looking for right now, but you want to sell them with your short form content. Yeah, that's such a good tip, I think. And also we notice that as well with social media, it's like anytime also you're showing, it's not just video, but it's also showing people Mm -hmm. and you're going to get better engagement. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, So that's a good one. And I was also going to ask you, you know, we're always casting about in our world to find like really perfect guests that our audience wants to listen to around, you know, experience and IT and workplace. How do you go about kind of casting for your podcast and finding guests? Yeah. So for me, one thing I learned early on is just because someone has a big name doesn't mean that it's going to be an episode that's listened to. Um, For example, we've had some bigger names in the B2B space that have been on the podcast and they aren't the most listened to episode. Um, And the reason being is because they're on a million podcasts. They're not going to help you promote it. So what our strategy is, is to go get um, micro influencers or even just people that really aren't influencers at all in the SaaS marketing space have them mm-hmm. on the show, get them excited about it. And then in return, we don't ask them to share anything, but they're going to be excited to be featured, right? I'm yeah. When I'm on a podcast, I'm not a big name by any means, but I'm excited, I'll share it. And yeah. that's the best strategy that we found is not going after the big names, but some people that fly under the radar that are not on a million podcasts a week and they'll mm-hmm. go and help you share the content. So that's how we look at finding guests. And I would say probably 75% of the people we, we reach out to um, are like, yeah, let's set up a time to chat um, because it's still a very underutilized channel. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess the takeaway is don't go after the flashy big names, at least at first. Um, mm-hmm. It's good to bring them in to add some credibility to the show. Uh, but to start out, um, you can just have you know people in your space on the show and, and create content with that. I love that. So and what I'm hearing is I'm not overexposed yet, which is great. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe after this show, maybe you will be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, One final question for you, just in terms of like the topics around your podcasts. So how do you, is it more like you talk to somebody and then you come up with an idea or do you have like things you think people are interested in and then try to find the people? Mm -hmm. So this is what I do. uh, And you might recall this from, I had a prep call with you, right? So Mm -hmm. we'll get people on a prep call and I will sit down And I actually used to send out a list of three to four questions over email and say, hey, like, uh, what are your answers to this? And then I would form an agenda and a topic around what they they responded. And I decided that this is really just a wasted opportunity to get to know the guest for 10 or 15 minutes on a prep call. I mean, if you're doing a podcast a week, that's nothing, right? So that's why I do those prep calls on Zoom Mm -hmm. face-to-face. We brainstorm a topic and the questions that I ask to really flush out whether not whether or not we're going to do a topic, but to kind of get to know their passion in the marketing mm-hmm. world, I'll ask, what is a common belief in B2B marketing that you passionately disagree with? I'll take mm-hmm. some notes. And then, and you probably are rem- remembering this yeah. now. And then the <laughs> next question I ask is, uh, what should we start doing as it relates to that belief? And then what should marketers stop doing? And by the end of just having a conversation with my guest on a prep call with those questions, um, you know, we can flush out a lot of really good topics and ideas for an, a podcast agenda. So that's how I go about it. And there are other ways to do it for sure, but that's been the most successful for me. 
um, you know, on our podcast doing that. And it's, it's almost like the prelude episode to the real episode. Right. No, I think that's really, uh, that's, it's very successful in terms of like, I looked at the questions for this podcast. I was like, this is what I'm passionate about. And like, you were able to kind of like suss that out from the 15 minute call. Exactly. Worth it. Yeah. Instead of just me going, so what, what excites you about marketing? It would would be just Ah. such a dull question, right? (laughs) But there's other ways to flush it out, take some notes, and write some questions based on the answers and almost kind of like regurgitate what you talked about on the first episode and just go way yeah. deeper um, and just have a conversation, I guess, is the most important part. Exactly. And I have to say, every time I've done a podcast, this is like, I think my second one, <laughs> I'm always learning new things too. And one thing I really liked, not to give away all your secrets, but all good. one thing is you sent in advance, kind of like, this is what you need to be prepared for. You know, like you said, you gave all the facts and here's my cell phone number in case yeah. something goes wrong. It's just like all that kind of insurance, uh, I think is really nice upfront and like, okay, you know, this is exactly what I need to know. You made it really simple. So yeah, that's, that's honestly the whole goal. And I'm, I'm fine giving away all of our process, all the secrets. One of the things that's also helpful is communicating with your guest in many different forms um, before mm-hmm. the podcast. One, it just gets, once you know the person is so much easier to have a conversation. And if you yeah. can fast forward that before you get to a podcast, you're going to create better content. And that's why, for example, I get them on a prep call. You and I, we did a face-to-face call, which was awesome. We got to mm-hmm. meet. Um, we talk over email, even before the podcast, I shoot a text with like a gift just to be fun, right? Yep. It's just showing that I'm human, you're human. Uh, we can have fun and, and just be almost like friends before we even start recording. And it's really, really cool to see the relationships that come out of it uh, just from being a real human. I love that. And your gift game is strong. So <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh. So thank you. Awesome thank stuff. you. <laughs> Well, Heather, to close us out here, would you let us know, I know we've, we've kind of chatted about it a little bit, but what does next thing do? Give me like the 30 second elevator pitch. Okay, great. So it's a short elevator. Uh, I will will be in together. Um, So basically, have you ever heard of digital employee experience? Probably a lot (laughs) during this. Now I have. um, Excellent. uh, Excellent. So, um, you know, for us, it's all about giving employees what they want, which is a consumer grade experience with technology at work. And what we do is work with IT teams to make sure that, you know, they're not just thinking about technology, they're thinking about the people behind it. And we're giving them the visibility to be able to understand not only what's happening on their devices and networks and applications, but also how they feel. How is it making them feel? You know, are they getting frustrated? How do we make that so easy so that they're ahead of problems before they happen? That's next thing in a nutshell. Very cool. Well, Heather, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you here on B2B Made Simple. And we'll have to do this again one day, all right? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.